Now we're kicking off a, a, a new series called You Asked For It. Kicked it off last weekend, but to get everybody up to speed, for those of you that were gone last weekend, uh, we talked about a significant question, uh, what is God's will for my life? That's a question that many of us ask through most stages, if not all, of our life. Am I doing what God wants me to be, be doing at this point in my life? So those messages are online. Uh, Facebook page or the website, you can catch up with those. And what we did is we surveyed everybody in the database. We asked the question, uh, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> and so for six weeks, we're, we're dealing with different areas, different questions or topics that you all submitted. Now, there were, I don't even know how many, over 100 different questions or topics submitted. So I sifted through all of those, tried to combine some of those. And uh, this is one of those weeks where it's a combination of a couple of different questions. If you saw your bulletin, you saw the question uh, today is, is sin really that big of a deal? Now, to be fully honest, nobody asked that question that directly, but people asked various questions about the topic of sin. Does God punish my sin? How do I deal with sin? How do I overcome sin? And so this week and next week, even though these are six separate weeks, these two are really kind of connected. And so... Uh, this, I've had just a great time studying and researching sin. It's really, we're all going to have a great time today talking about sin. <laughs> and, you know, really got into it and ended up with about 17 pages of notes. Here's the good news, right? Especially if you're first-time guest wondering how long this is going to last. I got down to four pages today. So that's the good news. And, and really where I differentiated it and pushed it kind of to next week is a lot of you are wondering, how can I overcome my sin? Like, we get so frustrated most, hopefully all of us, with this kind of indwelling sin that keeps, keeps breaking us down, and, and maybe we're decades in dealing, navigating the same sin. So next week, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Several people asked about what is spiritual warfare, how do we deal with spiritual warfare, and so we're, that's kind of part two of today's message. So I know when, when we navigate weighty issues like this, uh, it, it hits all of us in different ways because of what we're personally navigating. And honestly, last week might be the most commonly asked question, but if you never ask, what is God's will for my life, you can still live a God-honoring life. However, if we fail to properly understand the role of sin in our lives, we will be at risk of missing the main point of life itself and why Jesus himself came. So we have to get this right. Let me pray for us. We'll get into it. God, in these moments as we uh, just kind of center ourselves and just rest in this moment knowing that you are here and you want the best for us, but we can't find the best for our lives outside of you, may we just be overwhelmed with gratitude for the work that you did through your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can properly understand how far he came to rescue us and that we can see sin, the significant problem it is for every single one of us. And so we thank you for never giving up on us, that we even have the opportunity to have this conversation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, when you hear that word sin, right, we all probably instinctively think like, okay, well, I don't really want to spend too much time in self-examination. Just give me something, some good news, some encouragement, right? And so we have to dig a little, little deep and, and, and hopefully find a sense of conviction of wanting to do something about uh, the sin in our own lives. So I want to start with three different definitions of sin. And the reason why I want to start this way is I want you to pay attention specifically to your level of conviction after uh, you hear these definitions, and more specifically, your level of motivation to wanting to do something about it by merely hearing the definitions. Definition number one of sin, missing the mark. Got a specific target in mind for us. Sin is when we miss that target. Second definition, a transgression, offense, misdeed, or error. Another definition of sin. Here's a third one, 
an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. That sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Now, however, is the definition, that de- those definitions that I gave you, is that motivation enough for you to fully understand its impact, number one, and number two, to overcome it, which we're going to navigate next week? My guess is probably not. Right, if we wanted to have like a five-minute version of uh, this message today, which we're not, apologize for that, but if we were going to go that route, I would define sin just as I have, and then I would say something like, guys, we, we've got to do better. We have got to stop doing bad things. All right, let's pray. <laughs> it's probably, we're probably not going to have the necessary weight, conviction that God has in mind for us to understand, properly understand the role of sin in our lives. Think about the consequence of a parking ticket. I'm not going to do a, a raise of hands uh, today, but uh, many of us, most of us have probably got a parking ticket. Maybe you've uh, uh, had your car towed because you parked somewhere where you, uh, let's just be honest, you, you thought you'd get away with it, right? Didn't get away with it, it got towed. And that's a terrible feeling. You show up, you see the ticket, or you show up even worse and your car's gone, right? You hope it's not stolen. And if it is towed, you know it's going to cost a pretty significant amount. I had this experience in college, you know, uh, didn't realize I parked in the wrong space, came back uh, from a concert, and it was gone, and it was a lot of money, and that hurt, right? Like, you're just burning money, you're just throwing it away. But life goes on pretty soon after that, right? You think back, and you're like, oh, man, I wish that wouldn't have happened. But in the big scheme of things, it really didn't affect you. It really wasn't that, that big of a deal. Think about that level of emotion compared to this. If you are married and you sin against your spouse, maybe you lose your temper, say things that you shouldn't have said to hurt their feelings, you disrespect or belittle them with words, or you cheat on them, right? you break that commitment in marriage. Think about that level of emotion. In this case, you're not breaking the law. On the other hand, you're wounding their heart. Totally different. Both are wrong, but the level of emotion and conviction and even remorse is entirely different. So my question for us today is this. Do we see, will we see our sin as more than merely a parking ticket? Because oftentimes we're way too soft on sin. We trivialize that which broke our relationship with God himself, and we fail to properly understand the significance of grace. Notice 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, and I want to preface... uh, the scriptures that we're going to be reading today all come from the person of Paul. That's very significant. Number one, because he wrote much of the New Testament. Number two, we need to pay attention to the way that he viewed himself, specifically the way he viewed his sin. This should be very encouraging to us and also very humbling. Let's begin in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Paul said, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, the only one who never had any sin in his life, made him to be sin for us, took on the sins of the world, So that in him, in Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Because Jesus took on our sin, we get to become right with God. He has made us right because of Christ's work. So let me be clear, sin is not wrongdoing. Sin is actually wrong being. It is who we are. We, none, none of us will, will go our entire lives being sinless. We represent the fullness of sin, which we deserve punishment for that. So this is, where, this is our first step in understanding. Sin is not merely disobedience. Instead, it's a disruption of our very identity that we get to obtain through a relationship with God. Your identity, our identity, gets to be, because of the work of Christ, child of God. And every time we sin, we disrupt that relationship. 
Because when we, when we choose to sin, we're choosing independence from God. Let me put it more directly. When we sin, we are rejecting God. Every time we sin, go our own way, thinking that we know better, we are deliberately rejecting God and his ways. Adam and Eve, the first two people uh, to live on this earth, God created a perfect world. No sin was in this world. And here's Adam and Eve in a perfect place. And they were told they could eat of any tree in the garden, except for one. <laughs> That's free will. We have the opportunity to choose. God does not program us to re- automatically respond the way that he wants us to respond. We get to choose. Adam and Eve, right, they were tempted by Satan in the garden. He said, no, it's not that big a deal. So they ate of the only tree that they're not supposed to eat of because they, they, they were convinced it's not that big a deal. And in that moment, they rejected God's authority and really declared their independence from him. And in that moment, sin had entered the world. I have a 15-month-old, 15 and a half, right? You still count the halves at that age. 15 and a half-month-old son, Levi, and just, you know, every, every day is something new. And he's about five or six weeks into walking now, which is a whole other deal, right? I don't need a gym membership anymore. You just, just have a kid and keep in shape kind of thing. And, uh, and so think about this. Many of you parents, you've lived this out. You've experienced the same thing. The first 13 months or so, He's being carried, right, by, by his mom, Emily, or, or me, and that's just his norm. And then he slowly begins to walk. Now, what's really interesting the last two or three weeks or so is I'll be carrying him kind of like I have this first 13 months of life, and it's almost as if he realizes, oh, wait a second, I can walk. And he'll start trying to squirm and like, Dad, let me down, I can walk now, which is kind of a fun, you know, small window that we're in where he realizes and then he finds the joy in walking. Now, I'm pretty sure that this hasn't gone through a 15-month-old head, but I was thinking about this in the context of this marriage, of this message. And what if Levi was thinking, when he gets down and he thinks about how, wait a second, I could have been walking this whole time? Are you serious? Like, you just, my parents just started letting me, let me walk the last couple of months here? Like, what in the world? Right, I'm pretty sure this isn't actually happening inside of his head. But what if, right? He's like, well, this is amazing. I get to walk around on my own. There would probably be a certain level of resentment. He'd be like, you all were holding out on me this entire time. Fortunately, you let me start walking out. Can, but can you, let's play this out. Imagine at the age of two months or three months when he can't do anything on his own, but he really wanted to do something. We could see it on his face. He's squirming around, right, trying to roll over. And we just looked at him like, Levi, just get up and walk. If you want something, just get up and go do it. That's called terrible parenting, isn't it? It would be foolish of him to have resentment now. I think you know where this is going. As parents, I hope to believe that we are good parents. We know what is best for him. (laughs) And he will walk in the proper time. But now that he's discovering his own independence, right, what he can do on his own, right, and this is what happens, this is what happened with Adam and Eve, there's a little bit of resentment, like God is holding out on us. We can do what we want, how we want, and the way that we want. We're going to go after what we want, but they fail to realize the consequences. Now, with Levi, there's minimal consequences. Hopefully, there's no resentment there. But when we talk about sin entering the world, with sin came shame. Because the world, at that time, without sin, there was no shame. It was innocence. They were literally walking around naked, not even knowing they were naked. That was just the norm. But when sin entered the world, so did shame, and that's why they were instinctively covered themselves, trying to hide. With sin entering the world came suffering. And so we ask that question often, why does God allow suffering? Because sin, sin is the cause. We live in a broken world that God will one day fully restore. But in the meantime, there's a lot of suffering that we absolutely hate and he does as well. 
Sin also brought the consequence, the ultimate consequence of death itself. The consequence of sin is death, separation from God. So asking if sin is a big deal is the same as asking, is death a big deal? Of course it's a big deal because it represents the end of something. Paul in Romans 6.23, he said, for the wages of sin is death. That word wages refers to what we have earned, our sin has earned the wages of death. The wages is what we deserve and what we have earned. So if we have sin in our lives, we are on our way to death. Eternal separation from God. And in scripture, right, you don't have to read very, very far, it gets a little scary. Because there's, when we sin, when we go our own way, when we deliberately reject God's invitation to relationship, the consequence is eternal separation from him. Like not just the end of our physical life, but the end of our eternal life. Why? Because of sin and going our own way. And so when we read about a place like hell, right, it seems to be a very clear reality in scripture, that's a very scary thing. Where there's punishment involved, but the worst part is eternal separation from a loving father. For the wages, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, if you've read Romans 6.23, you know that the second part is very good news. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, comes from him, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This changes everything. We've been offered a gift. And this gift is essentially we get to receive the opposite of what we deserve because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Adam and Eve, in that moment, they traded their favor with God, perfection. They traded it for their own pleasure. We do this all the time, don't we? And we've been following their suit ever since, choosing indulgence because, number one, we want what we want and we don't care who it affects. And number two, we believe that we know better than God. Why else would we sin? We just want to naturally, instinctively want to go our own way. So here's the reality that we have to understand this week and next week. We will never grow, grow in, in, in the way of becoming holy and reflecting Christ-like nature. We will never grow until we hate our sin, until we hate our sin. So I know many of us are frustrated at sin becoming a constant companion. So we rationalize our desires in the moment, convince ourselves that going our own way, it's just not that big a deal. It's not a big deal. But let me be clear today. The significance of sin is not in what was done, not in the act of sin, but instead who was sinned against. It is not merely an isolated act, and our sin is not limited to what we've done. The gravity of our sin is the fact that someone has been sinned against. So this is, this is a series of conversations it gets, because we oftentimes repeatedly reduce sin to merely this indulgence without consequence to ourselves or other people and fail to realize that sin itself is why Jesus came. It's why he was nailed to a cross. This is why we gather every single week to have the reminder of all that we should be grateful for, that we have a God who came all the way to us. This is how the story began. This is why Jesus entered into the world. And this is why love for God is what leads to hate towards sin. Love for God, that's where it has to begin in order for us to get to a place of hating our sin. The more you are overwhelmed by the mercy of God, the more you will be overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. Because you realize this, grace is not transactional, grace is relational. It's not a math problem. Oh, okay, if I, if I choose Jesus, I get heaven. That sounds great. 
No, we're missing the point. Grace is relational. No, I choose Jesus because of what I get now, a relationship with him. See, if I know that, that sin leads to death, and hopefully we do, and if I know that it fractures my relationship with the loving God, and I hate the sin in my life, why in the world do I keep returning to it? Right? We're talking about this next week as well, so we're not going to have all the answers today, but I, I think this is a primary frustration for many of us, especially those of us that have been walking with Christ for decades. Like, why can't I get past this sin that seems to be owning my life that keeps coming back into my life day after day? Well, here's, here's the reality oftentimes, and I, and I hate this that we see this so often. We too often view grace as kind of this life insurance blanket as opposed to life itself. See, the result is this mindset that asks, how much can I do and still be good with God? How much can I do what I just want to do and still be okay with God? As opposed to how can I live a life more honoring to God? I remember back, I was probably eighth or ninth grade, I was at a, uh, a retreat in Tennessee, and uh, it was one, the speaker was leading us in an exercise where we could write out any question anonymously, right? That, that opens up the floodgates, doesn't it? Oh, okay. Nobody's going to know that I asked this question, and it was somewhere around eighth or ninth grade, and I, I asked a question that was a pretty commonly asked question, at least at that time, probably still is today. And, uh, and I, I think that I had a girlfriend at that time, and you, know, you start to have certain feelings that you never had before, right? Eighth and ninth grade, dangerous times. And I, th- I wrote the question something like, how far can I go with my girlfriend? Right? I don't know if this question is still asked, right? It's pretty common. I wasn't the only one asking this question. I got certain feelings, and those feelings kind of want to you know, take action. And uh, like holding my girlfriend's hand, I think I'd like to kiss her, but how long can I kiss her, right? I've heard the phrase making out is making out like five seconds or more. Like, I don't, I don't see making out in the Bible. Like, is making out okay? Like, at what point is it no longer okay? And God's like, if he was to come down and say, stop, we say, stop. Like, another way we ask it, where's the line? Where's the line? Like, because I want to go right up to the line. My, my emotions want to go right up to the line. <laughs> But, you know, I, I still understand, I have proper fear of God, and so let me know, like, right, poor speaker, right, getting these questions, like, okay, here's what you, the problem with that question, it's entirely the wrong question, because it's primarily self-serving. How much can I do and still be good with God? It's the wrong question that not only objectifies your girlfriend, by the way, but misses out on the opportunity to honor God through the relationship. God, what kind of relationship would you like me to have? As opposed to, God, wow, thank you for these emotions. Thank you for this person that appears to be offering me certain feelings that are great. And so God's like, step back for a second. I designed relationship for, for bigger purposes than just your personal satisfaction. Let me be clear. The aim is in that, in that mindset is merely the avoidance of sin, as opposed to the desire for a life pleasing to God. And in some ways, we keep pushing the boundaries. We want to know what's okay, what's not okay, because we want to live life to the fullest and through our terms, and sometimes that gets us in trouble. Really, we're just trying to salve our conscience, aren't we? We're missing the main point of, God, how can I live a life honoring to you? See, the gift of grace, right? We hear about this undeserved gift. We're like, Wow, really? Like, God did all of the work through his son, Jesus Christ. All I have to do is receive this gift of grace. That's good news. But it's not a free pass to sin. And this is where all too often people go off the rails. I've been in ministry for 18 years now, and I've seen people who've made the decision to get baptized, but really, they're signing up for this life insurance policy because then they just go back to the life that they had. 
And so they, they, they hear about the reward of heaven, but they miss out on the sheer joy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, they're really missing the point. See, the gift of grace is not a free pass to sin, but instead an open door to being overwhelmed with gratitude that leads to finding joy in obedience itself. <laughs> you really, that's really God's design. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul again said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? More sin means more grace, right? And this is the, the, the crowd at the time that he's trying to clear this, this question up. He says, by no means, right? Grace is not a you know, permission to sin. He said, Don't, this is so important to understand, especially in the context of the why to baptism. He's telling them, he's telling us, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer, right? We should be disgusted by it. He said, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Right? We're burying our sin. He said, we were, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may, here it is, live a new life. God did not send his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to save us from sin and death later, he did that, but also now. And so the evidence that we actually get it is that we're choosing, we're embracing new life now. But too many people are missing half of the power of the gospel. We're saved, but we're also changed. If we have the mentality of go ahead and indulge, it's already paid for. Jesus already, already has it covered. If we have that mindset, we are at serious risk of having a hardened heart. And that's a scary place to get where we become numb to our sin. Because with that mindset, we're so out of tune with the gratitude we should have in fully realizing that it's our sin that sent Christ to the cross. And yet we're enthusiastically returning to it. Now, I did something really, really dumb just like last night, right? So obviously it's like, oh, okay, that's probably worth sharing, even though it's incredibly embarrassing. But here we go. And uh, yesterday morning, I was playing pickleball with some guys, pulled my hamstring. And uh, so yesterday afternoon, I was at home icing it, and I forgot to put the ice pack back in uh, the freezer. And so last night, Emily and I got home, and uh, I was going to ice my hamstring again, realized that I had not put it in there. So I pull out, uh, pull open the freezer, and uh, there was a, a frozen bag of blueberries there. Like, well, that'll, that'll work. <laughs> I might already be regretting this. Maybe I won't share this in the next service. But <laughs> it looked like that bag had never been opened before. <laughs> yeah, it really is that bad. And uh, so I go lay on the couch. You know, lights are off. Emily and I are watching TV. And uh, um, so I'm probably icing my, my hamstring for a while. And then I get up. I'm like, are you kidding me? Right? I'm on the couch, right, there it is, blueberry stain of all things. Could have picked corn, could have picked green beans. Now let's go for the worst, blueberries. <laughs> Emily's in the room, she's in the chair, and I'm like, I just feel so dumb. Like, I cannot believe I did that. And she's incredibly gracious. And I got up uh, because I had to run over here to the Burlington campus. The Young Life guys were playing basketball in the gym. I live just a mile down the street from here. And so easy for me to just lock it up after they're done. And, uh, but I'm looking at what I've just done, and my instinct is, I've got to clean this up right now. And Emily just jumps right in, right? She's an amazing wife. You know, she's gracious. And 
she knows where the cleaning supplies that are necessary better than I do. She grabs, she's just right scrubbing it down and going, and it's a humbling thing. And so I run out, I get back, and she's still cleaning it, right? She's got the, the blow dryer out, now drying it. It's a pr- pretty humbling thing because that's my work that, that I should be doing, right? If we're tracking here, that's a humbling thing because she's doing all the work of my mistake. But I want to take it one, one step further. Imagine if I decided to, after I came back home, to ice my hamstring again with the same bag of blueberries, how much dumber would I have to be to do that? Not only imagine her reaction, really? <laughs> Short-term memory loss. You've already made this significant mistake, my words, not hers, and now you're going to go ahead and do it again. Is your plan for me to then clean it up again? That's a totally irrational. I think we're tracking here, yet this is exactly what we do. We continue to return to that which we know is wrong, and we can do nothing about it, and hopefully we get to the point of being overwhelmed, humbled by the fact that somebody keeps cleaning up our mess for us. Now, I'm sure at some point my wife would be like, you're cleaning it up. Like, this is the pinnacle of stupidity. If you're going to keep doing that, you're going to clean it up. You're going to get another couch. In fact, you can't even sit on the couch. You're going to sit on the floor, right? (laughs) I mean, why wouldn't she? And yet we have a God who's full of mercy, who doesn't shame us, doesn't remind us of how dumb we are to continue to return to that which we know is wrong. And he says, I'm never giving up on you. (laughs) I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross one time. That covers your sin. But the question is, will we become so overwhelmed with gratitude for the mercy that we've been shown that we will behave in a different way and we will find joy in that obedience? I mean, a hardened heart's a scary thing. And you'll know that your heart has become hardened when you begin to freely indulge in things that would have shocked you in the past. See, sin can become this very gradual path to destruction, right? The first time that you sin, right, and it maybe even, even eventually led to addiction. The reason why it led to addiction, something that just became normal, is because you normalized it. The first time it happened, you're like, oh, I never want to lose my temper again. I never want to look at pornography again. I never want to be that impatient to the point that I break relationships, and yet this becomes part of you. You start to normalize it, become desensitized to it. That which shook you in the beginning doesn't shake you anymore. You might be on your way to a hardened heart. Only when we become overwhelmed Only when we become overwhelmed by the mercy of God will we become overwhelmed by the weight of our sin. Mercy of God is what drives it. The catalyst for gratitude that leads to being overwhelmed, what we see through Paul himself, is humility. It's humility, understanding how undeserving we are. Paul in Romans chapter 7, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He starts with his own wretchedness, understanding that he's undeserving, which then propels him to gratitude. Sin can't thrive in a humble heart. The reason why we sin is because we're entitled. We believe that we're deserving of something, right? We rationalize it. Like, oh, it's it's not that big a deal. It's what I want. It's not affecting anybody. That's a self-centered position. Humility is what drives overcoming sin, The nature of sin is selfish, and so we have to take ourselves out of the center position so we properly see the gravity of our sin. Paul in 1 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Remember, our sin is his why. It's coming. And then Paul says, of whom I am the worst. Like, hold up, wait a second. This is the author of most of the New Testament. He says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is very good news, isn't it? We have a God who has immense patience. Now, we need to clarify, Paul isn't saying, like, I literally am the worst sinner. I've looked around, and wow, I have more sin in my life. He's presenting proper posture of humility, understanding that he is so far from being deserving of God's good grace. Those who believe they are deserving of heaven, when they say, but I'm a good person, are completely missing the point, because no one is good enough to receive the gift of grace. Jesus came to die for all. So humility drives hate for sin, which leads us to the actual point, and that's repentance. Repentance. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Are we still shook by our sin? Are we connecting our sin to the why that Jesus came? And that bothers us to the point of we experience sorrow that leads to the action of repentance. Here's a working definition of repentance. Sincere sorrow that leads to a complete kind of 180 degree change of direction toward God and his ways. This is different than being remorseful or sorrowful for like getting caught or just feeling bad for doing something like, oh, I shouldn't do that. This is a sincere sorrow that leads to action of change. God, I desire to go your way, not my own. We'll talk more about that next week. We have to ask the question, what am I... What, what I'm doing, I choose to no longer do. Like why, We are constantly asking the why. Because oftentimes when we get in this mindset of, of separating our sin and kind of being soft on our own personal sin, then we're out of touch with the work that Jesus wants to do in us now. So what I, what I am doing, I choose to no longer do. This is our goal. Because I'm connecting the act of sin to the breaking of relationship. And I'm choosing to care more about the relationship than continuing to embrace the act that sent Christ to the cross. Oswald Chambers, he uh, wrote my favorite devotional, many of you know that, uh, called My Utmost for His Highest. Here's his December, a portion of his December 7th entry. He said, repentance always brings a person to the point of saying, I have sinned. He said, the surest sign that God is at work in his life is when he says that and means it. Anything less is simply sorrow for having made foolish mistakes a reflex action caused by self-disgust. Now, this next part's a loaded statement, right? I love what he, his perspective. He says, the entrance into the kingdom of God is through the sharp, sudden pains of repentance colliding with man's respectable, quote, goodness. <laughs> we cannot be good enough. This is why we're shook by our sin. He says, the foundation of Christianity is Repentance. He said, strictly speaking, a person cannot repent when he chooses. Repentance is a gift of God, isn't it? It's an opportunity. Wow, God has continually made a way for me to come back to him. He closes by saying this. The old Puritans used to pray for the gift of tears. The gift of tears. He said, if you ever cease to understand the value of repentance, you allow yourself to remain in sin. So the question for us today, does our sin bring us to tears? Does our sin bring us to tears? Do we understand that this is the why 
for Jesus' coming at all. Christ's work on the cross. His work on the cross was driven by a love that we did not deserve. And that kind of love should bring us to our knees as we seek him all over again. So the cross, when we see and consider the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, it simultaneously reminds us of our wretchedness and God's kindness. Sin is why Jesus came. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. My sin put Jesus on the cross. My pride, my lust, my anger, my impatience, my jealousy, my bitterness, my gossip, that's what put Christ on the cross. So we gotta name our sin. We gotta call it what it is. And then consider the cross. When I was probably uh, middle school age, I came across a picture, it was actually a, um, a card that was given to me one time, and it's, that image is stuck in my mind ever since. Some of you have probably seen, this is actually a painting. It's called Forgiven, and uh, you talk about a humbling image. You see Jesus holding up a man, us, who's holding in his hands through what put him on the cross, a hammer and a nail, a man who can't stand up on his own. <laughs> you talk about great love, undeserving love. At the bottom, you see blood flowing. That blood covers our sin, and there's Jesus, not leaving us, not forsaking us, but holding up the very ones who are responsible for putting him on the cross. Gratitude. Gratitude for God's undeserving love is what drives hate for sin. Do you hate your sin? I hope that you do. I hope that you do because it's time that we declare war on sin. We need to declare war on our personal sin, and that's why next week we're talking about spiritual warfare and how we can navigate that. We have to properly understand this so that we... Rest in the grace and peace that Jesus offers every single one of us. Let's pray. God, as we consider you and your love for us, may we be overwhelmed in the best way possible. That your work for us goes all the way to rescuing us and changing us today. We thank you for never giving up on us. That you instill hope within us. May everyone understand that you are right there. there is, you're right around the corner. We can't earn our way. We can't spend enough of our days being good enough. God, we just need to show up to you today, and we thank you for being right there. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.